Hello and welcome to the Sports Law Podcast. Fantastic to have you with us again. Thank you for joining in. Today we're going to be talking to Ben, who is the founder of Spock. But we'll be talking about cloud production and Spock's growth and serving new audience, which is obviously a tremendously big thing in the sports industry. Before we get into that, of course, as always, if you like what you hear, make sure you follow us on social at Sportsloft HQ. Go to our website, sportsloft.co, and subscribe to our newsletter. And make sure that you do give us a like and a subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So um, today, we would like to welcome back to the podcast. I'm reliably informed for the first time since 2020. That's three years ago now. Ben Reynolds, founder and CEO of Spark. Welcome back to the Sportsloft podcast, Ben. Good to be here. It's amazing that, you know, three years ago we were just descending into the clutches of, of, of COVID and, you know, here we all are three years later still talking about it and still being impacted by it in the sports world and beyond. Exactly. Isn't it true? And of course, you guys um, operate a cloud platform, which is actually one of the many, many solutions that has allowed sport to kind of thrive through the pandemic. Why don't you tell us in your own words, what what, what is Spark and if you can, if you can also integrate the, the 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 birth story or the origin story of it, which 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 I love, would be would be great for the listeners. Sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll work backwards. So we're in the business of of content localization. What that means is, you know, every sport, every broadcaster, every league, uh, all of their fans look very different. Um, they watch sport in different places. They watch sport in different languages. They want to engage with brands and, and, and their teams in different ways. And so what we've built is a, a cloud-based studio to make it really easy to localize live content, particularly commentary and graphics, to suit these different audiences. So, you know, we've got brands like the NFL, Six Nations, FIBA, World Rugby, um, using our software to localize their live broadcasts to target different audiences around the world. We back that up with a talent marketplace of professional commentators. We've got over 50 languages uh, of, of commentators around the world who are freelancers for us, and they will partner them up with different content partners to say, oh, you know, we know you're a big personality in Vietnam for basketball commentary this rights holder over here needs to target a Vietnamese audience. Let's pair the two of you up and facilitate that um, that content production. The origin story for Spork is uh, a little bit more, uh, what's the word, casual than that. Um, I think like, like any sports fan, we, when I say we, me and, um, me and some college friends, thought we could do a better job of commentary than uh, the folks on, on TV. So we'd get together on weekends, sit on the couch, have a few beers, and broadcast our own comedic alternate takes on All Blacks matches, cricket matches, all sorts of things. Um, pretty soon figured out that the big brands, the big rights holders, don't want to work with a bunch of drunk 20-year-olds talking about whatever on their content. So we sort of put <laughs> a suit knew? and tie on. Who and, knew? Exactly, right? Um, so we put a suit and tie on and... Uh, built a cool piece of technology, which we thought this is going to be valuable and useful for us to actually sell to the rights holders rather than trying to be a content house ourselves. So within 
that background and and that history and I love I, I love that origin story because I can just imagine sort of the 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 storytelling that must have come out of there and I think all of us are guilty of occasionally shouting at the commentator and thinking that we could do a much better job. Um, they obviously don't have the benefit of access to beers during the commentary. Uh, that is, if they want to remain <laughs> professional. But um, how much has the business sort of grown over time in order to focus or grow the marketplace? Uh, compared to the uh, cloud production technology, which in essence allows anybody to commentate over something and therefore becomes very valuable for, you know, multiple languages, multiple streams, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, we've, we've been around for, for seven years. Um, it's crazy when you, when you think about it um, being, being that long. The first three years of that, uh, I really chalk up to us just trying to figure out our place in the world. We didn't make a dollar until year four. That was the year before COVID. And that was the year that we really hit the market with a broadcast ready product that we were actually able to sell to sports leagues. So years one through three were sort of going through that learning experience of, you know, drunk 20 somethings on the couch doesn't work. Let's try and build something that we can maybe package up and sell to broadcasters. Let's test that within New Zealand where we started the company. Let's take that to Australia, have some conversations there, see if it could make sense for that market. Let's raise some cash and try and get over to Europe and the US, do some more market research. And then year four really, really launched and, and started hitting the world with what we had to sell. Then COVID happened. Let me, let me, just, let me just pause you there for one second because I'm fascinated by that. Sure. So for four years, you guys raised presumably a bit of cash to run the business, but I'm, I'm assuming there, there were uh, three of you, correct, who started at the same time? Three, correct, yeah. Yep. Uh, yep. Were, were you working in parallel? Was this a side hustle? Was this the main focus? How were you, how were you, how were you living? How were you actually making any money during that time? Yeah, I mean, the brilliant thing about being 22, 23-year-olds, which is what we were at the time, is you can live on the smell of an oily rag. Um, <laughs> so, you know, my, my, my personal burn rate was under $10,000 a year. Um, I was really lucky, obviously, that I could live at home with mum and dad. I know lots of people don't have that same privilege. I um, was really lucky with that. But then it was, you know, just didn't, didn't go and go to concerts and didn't go out on Friday night with my friends. It would be, you know, saving money to focus on the business and where we could hire an engineer or, you know, get somebody in to help with a specific project. Um, and at the start, the three of us were doing a bit of everything. Um, so, you know, I was doing sales, a little bit of um, coding and development, a little bit of capital raising. Um, and, you know, over time, as, as we've grown, we've just become more focused and how we allocate our time and time and work. Um, but I think it's important, right, to go through that, uh, that learning curve of mm. trying to understand this industry. You know, we were complete outsiders. We have no background in broadcast, sports tech, anything like that. And so we had to learn everything from nothing. You came at it from the passion point, right? It was you were literally sitting there on your sofa doing what you are now allowing other people to do and to monetize and to reach new audiences. So, so that was fascinating. When, when did you know you had something? When was the moment where you went, oh, hang on a second, like this, this, could, this could actually be something? So I, I remember, this is probably partway through our second year, we'd done a pilot with a local TV network in, in New Zealand and, and that pilot had won a, 
uh, sports tech award and so I did our my first international trip with Spork was up to the UK to go and you know accept this trophy and meet a bunch of people and take a bunch of meetings and things and at that uh, award ceremony met Nicola Shapar who's the head of digital at Fever and he said to us look I, I like this idea of different types of commentary different styles next week we've got the under 19 world basketball champs starting how do you guys feel about producing alternate uh, commentary for every match at the under 19 world champs and so you know at that point the biggest event we'd done was a local rugby broadcast in in new zealand mm. with you know a few thousand viewers um and here was fever saying you know yeah we'll, we'll 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 give you a chance you're obviously we'll have our professional guys doing it on site that'll be the primary broadcast but we're happy to let take a risk on um, seeing what you can do with an alternate broadcast and what it does for our fans. And, you know, that I remember sitting in the office in uh, Auckland in New Zealand at 3am in the morning um, when the first feed went out with our alternate broadcast on Facebook. And, you know, it starts on Facebook Live with, you know, three viewers watching and then 50 viewers watching and then 500 viewers watching and then 5,000 viewers watching wow. and 60,000 viewers watching. Um, and I was just riding my bike around the office because I was so excited <laughs> um, uh, around this big shared uh, co-working space we had in, in Auckland. Um, but that was the moment that we knew there is a market for localizing content for different audiences. And what was that? What was that alternate broadcast? Was it a was it a, a separate language, or was it just a different sort of more fun take? We did a mix for the under nineteen. So we were doing a mix of um, alternate, more geared towards youth. So mm -hmm. basketball influencers, okay. um, you know, YouTubers, um, Instagrammers, things like that, doing alternate broadcasts, um, along with some multilingual for some of the teams competing. So yeah, no, it was that really. Nick at Nico at um, FIBA saying, yeah, we'll take a risk and we'll let you guys have a bit of fun with this this content. And I think that for us was the real, yeah, we really have something here. This is going to be a conduit for lots of sports leagues to enable them to do the same. Hmm. So in essence, Manningcast is stealing what you guys were doing uh, at the time. Something like that. Something like that. Well, we should trademark it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so um take me back to uh year four when you started to actually uh generate revenue and you started to bring in FIBA obviously uh you mentioned you now work with uh the NFL you work with a number of um major rights holders uh world rugby um I, I think you've powered some of the FIFA World Cup um uh, alternate language broadcasts as well how have those um three years and, and as you said, it was leading into COVID. How did those three years unfold? And like, how did you start to, to add to that roster and continue to be able to deliver um, uh, for each of your partners? Yeah, so definitely with that, with that FIBA Under-19 World Cup. So we didn't make a dollar on that. We wanted to do it for the exposure and, you know, learn if this could work for an Olympic Federation. So now we've sort of proved and validated the, the first assumption of do sports federations and broadcasters want to use what we have? You know, we think we've got a yes there. The next is we've created the value. How do we capture that value and start generating some revenue? And being, again, inexperienced, I think by this point, I'm 25, being inexperienced founders, we, we just started at ground zero of experimenting with different business models. 
So, you know, I remember, I think one of our first paying customers was, was World Rugby. And, you know, they came to us and said, all right, here's the calendar for the year. What does it cost? And at this point, we'd never <laughs> quoted a project as large as, a, as they had requested for, for the Rugby 7 series. And so we really had to sit down and go, all right, well, how do we price it? We don't, we don't actually know. Um, and so we invented all of that on, on the fly based on, you know, what we've learned at business school and how we saw other people in the market pricing, um, similar tools. And, you know, we've tweaked it over the years, but fundamentally have stayed with, um, what we created on, on day one. And it seems to, um, you know, work, work really well for our customers. You know, we're, we're a usage-based pricing. You use us for more broadcasts, we charge you more money. Um, rather than a, a SaaS subscription where it's, you know, pay a certain amount a month whether you use it or don't use it. Mm -hmm. And when you looked at that pricing for the first time and you started to kind of analyze it and decide how you were going to uh, price up the value for World Rugby, did you, did you have an end target in mind? Were you sort of thinking, well this is a pretty big deal, you know, um, it could actually give us runway for another year, therefore this is a number that we need to get to, uh, or um, obviously I guess World Rugby now are an established client, so they're not going to be upset if that's the case, but what sort of parameters did you start to build in given that it was pretty much a blank canvas? Yeah, I mean, whenever, whenever you're going to market to raise capital, the first question that you get every time is how big is the market for this? How much money do you think you can... Um, you can generate. Um, we found it really challenging to put a hard number on a addressable market. Um, you know, we've got estimates ranging from anywhere from a billion to 12 billion is spent on commentary production globally each year. Um, wow. And, okay. you know, we, and it's challenging, right? But you think about every single broadcast you watch on TV, there is a commentator who's being paid. 500 to 1500 bucks behind that microphone there is a handful of audio engineers a handful of producers um, a bunch of expensive hardware a studio that's been rented a hotel flights everything that's been put into producing that in broadcast that you're watching on tv um but it's hard to calculate all of that across so many different markets so many different countries but you know we we could identify pretty easily that you know, we thought there's somewhere between 1,500 to 2,000 customers that we think we can monetize. Let's go out and hit as many of them as we can and snowball our way to, to really owning this, this market of localized production. Um, I think, and, and this is sort of, I guess, the, the second part of your question around marketplace and talent mm. marketplace and how that came into, um, in, into being. Um, it just became a, a question that we were getting from customers all the time was, I don't know anyone who could broadcast football in Arabic. Um, who do you know? Um, mm. These are the markets who want to hit. These are the demographics that we have. Um, you know, who do you know that could be a good fit for, for being the voice of our talents in Morocco or Saudi Arabia or wherever I want to broadcast my my Arabic uh, coverage. And so we went back and said, well, why don't we just run an activity of talking to every commentator in the world, um, getting a hold of their demo reel, um, their rates, 
um, what languages they speak, what sports they cover, and packaging that into a marketplace that our customers can use to identify and source the best talent for their events. And so I think in a way how the business model or the initially the product was pulled from us by by FIBA, the business model was pulled from us by World Rugby. Again, mm-hmm. it was customers saying, we want this, build this for us that made us go and say, we need to build a talent marketplace to support what our customers need, um, especially around the the multilingual. Um, so yeah, very like organic process, I think, from going from validating that that initial product phase, revenue generating, and then you know expansion opportunities beyond that. Mm. And how's the balance of the revenue uh, right now, to, uh, to to the extent that you can reveal anything between the the technology solution, the technology platform, and the shall we call it the representation or the the agency arm, um, the the commentator pool? We're about fifty fifty on okay. our aggregate revenue. So fifty is like GMV, right? Talent spends where we're taking a percentage off the top and paying talent um, out from that. And then the other 50 is technology and delivery fees that we charge. On our customer base, I'd say about 30% of our customers are using the talent marketplace at the moment. And the others are still, you know, bringing their own talent. They've already got a voice they use. Um, you know, they want to manage it in-house and that's that's totally fine. Um, I'm sure over time we expect that to grow. And, you know, as as the numbers get larger and larger, I think, GMV, the you know talent marketplace component of our income, will be a larger percentage of our revenue um, than the tech sales. But you know it's it's always a, a constant balancing act. And you say that uh, you say that the talent can be anywhere between five hundred and fifteen hundred dollars for being behind the microphone, roughly. Mm-hmm. Nice one. That's one for me to take up with Charlie and the sports loft team. Um, <laughs> So the, I mean, the rates vary. One of the, one of the cool things we've just launched is um, a program called Spork U, um, which is targeted at universities and colleges at the moment only in the US, but we, we will grow that over time where we're looking at the next generation of sports talent and say, hey, you know, we know the top 50 schools for sports journalism in the US. Um, come and join us in your junior or your senior year you know, your, your last or second to last year of, of, of college. Um, we'll tee you up and pair you up with uh, local broadcast opportunities that might fit your portfolio, fit your skill sets. And, you know, the rates are lower because you're a, you're a trainee, you're an up-and-comer, you're trying to build out your, um, your portfolio. Uh, but we see that spork you opportunity as being a, a, a great way for new up-and-coming talent to cut their teeth on... Mm a more diverse range of content. So, you know, we've got people who are coming through universities and now commentating for Olympic federations through sport, um, through that Sport U program. That's awesome. And there is uh, quite a quite an impressive, actually, in-depth article on the uh, on Spock, on the Sportsloft uh, website, which we'll make sure to put in the show description notes if, uh, if the listeners want to go have a, a, a deeper review of that. I'd encourage them to do so. Um, taking the learnings that you have seen from being in the industry and localizing content, providing that service of localizing content, 
and, and, and certainly taking the learnings from COVID and lockdown and having had the focus of a lot of sporting organizations move towards cloud production, move towards remote production, move towards hyper-localizing content and, and, and making it as individualized as possible for individual consumers. Where have you seen the biggest driver in terms of the growth? Um, because we see... Um, all sorts of different feeds come up, right? Um, uh, I, I mentioned Manning Cast. That's obviously quite a quite a, a, a well a well known and highly visible one. But there are betting specific feeds, and there are influencer specific feeds, and there are obviously language ones, and you know, um, uh, sponsored alternate commentaries. You know, all sorts of different things. Where are you guys see most of them powered by us. What's that? Most of those examples powered powered by us. <laughs> exactly. So which which is the one that is that is sort of the 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 biggest um, value driver for you guys? Which is the one that is supporting the most uh, the most growth and that that um, rights holders are turning to the most? Yeah, I mean, what's what's been the most exciting thing for us, particularly in the last twelve to eighteen months, has been transitioning from being a cost center for leagues and, and broadcasters to being a revenue generating tool you know when COVID first hit we were the obvious only alternate to not having commentators on site you had to go remote everybody did it out of out of necessity now they're looking at it and saying hey if I can spend $1,500 producing a Mandarin broadcast for a featured game of the week I can go out and find a sponsor that appeals to that market I can sell sponsorship inventory on that broadcast. I can go and now sell and commercialize those rights in a, in a new market. And I've turned a $1,500 cost into a $15,000 revenue opportunity on a single match. So that's, that's really the growth opportunities that we're seeing a lot more of, is people identifying how localization can help drive commercial outcomes and using Spork as a tool to enable those commercial outcomes. So it's working a lot more, not just with the production team to deliver the events, but also the media rights team and the media sales team and the marketing team and the data team and understanding, you know, where are our audiences and how can we uh, appeal further to them? You know, one of the fun experiments we've got going with uh, a couple of EPL Premier League clubs um, and also Bundesliga clubs at the moment is alternate language radio feeds for their international members. So you think about a um, think about a club like, so I support Brentford. Right. I'm a yeah. huge Brentford fan. Go Bees. Um, you know, Brentford are also known as like Denmark FC, right? Half their team's mm. Danish. Um, huge fan base in, in Denmark. There's a ton of Danish um, people in Denmark who are paying, you know, 50 bucks a year, 100 bucks a year to be an international member of Brentford. And what do you actually get for that? You know, maybe you get a ticket to a game if you happen to be in London. But we're going to these clubs and saying, hey, and, you know, we're not working with Brentford, so this is purely hypothetical. Um, but you can produce a Danish broadcast and offer that as a radio fees to your international members through your website, through social, through any of your distribution platforms. Um, and so using that as a tool to use language as a way to drive engagement, grow your fan base, deliver value for money, drive commercial outcomes, 
all of that fun stuff. Mm. Note to self, tag the Brentford commercial director and media director in the uh, in the post today. Uh, if, uh, if you know them, we'd love to connect with them. So Brentford, send me an email. <laughs> Excellent. Generating generating business on the Sports Staff podcast. <laughs> so uh, I'm fascinated about this um, aspect of it, um, which is the which is the, the marketplace and where you um, identify or how you segment that talent. Obviously, a lot of the uh, requests are going to have have come from your clients for um, local language experts. But have you started on the talent side identifying alternate feed talent, whether it's influencers or betting experts uh, or um, whatever yeah, it might be? Betting is the obvious mm. one, um, and certainly we we've we've got a particular strength, obviously, in, in English. Um, I think there's a lot of experience in in the US and the UK on. Um, betting specific feeds um spanish we're starting to build that capability of um you know not just having hey here is an assortment of spanish play-by-play broadcasters for latin america but here is spanish play-by-play here is spanish betting specific here is spanish um youtuber here is you know spanish speaking influencer um so you know the ultimate goal for us is just replicating that across more languages um, but starting with the most commonly requested ones we cover, English, Spanish, Japanese, German, um, uh, as a starting point and expanding out from there. What is the process of finding that talent? Because you said you go to all commentators and, and find their showreels and stuff. Like that. But, but practically, that's that, that sounds daunting. Like, how do you even go about that? Yeah, I mean, most most of the people we work with, they'll be working for a local broadcaster, local TV network. Um, they might be working for a local uh, sports league in, in their country. Um, and so on their LinkedIn profile, they've just got commentator, journalista, you know, whatever the 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 title is on their, on their LinkedIn or Twitter. And so it's just an exercise of going out and um, identifying where they are and then putting them up in front of the the right opportunities when we get it from uh, from a specific client. So I think the important distinction is like we're not an agency. We don't go out and shop people and say, you know, uh, we're going to represent you and make sure we get you in front of this client. We collect all their information and then the client will say, hey, I need this type of commentator who's an expert in these leagues uh, I'm looking for this sort of budget and we'll say, all right, we've applied all those filters. Here are the 15 people that could be a fit for you. Um, go and watch their demo reels, have a listen to their commentary, see what you think. And then we can book them and contract them, get them online at the right time, make sure they're all ready to go, pay them at the end of it um, and go from there. And speaking about the balance between being a revenue generating tool, which is great, um, or a tool to grow and identify new audiences, whether it's geography, language-based demographics, you guys have some incredible stories um, uh, about that. I mean, the the, the briefing note here has um, working with the NFL in Spanish language and also Hockey Night in Canada with, with Molson. The one I always love to come back to is the um, the Japanese basketball league, which had two Fili- two Filipinos playing in a team. And you d- 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 just tell that story because it's incredible. Yeah, sure. I know, I've got one other fun one I'll, I'll share as well. The the B League, the Japanese basketball league, um, Thirty Ravina is a very well known uh, Filipino player, 
um, came up to play in uh, in in the B League. They looked at it and said, "Hey, let's let's test out doing all of 30s games uh, in um, in Tagalog for a Filipino audience." Um, so you know, use sport to produce that um, that alternate language fees, and the numbers were were through the roof. So as a result, they were able to sell a broadcast deal where a broadcaster in the Philippines was picking it up. So making money on you know sport is initially a cost center transition to a revenue generating tool and then they had some uh, players from uh, from China also playing so they said let's experiment there as well and the whole process repeated itself and so it's just looking at those local opportunities um, similar to the Brentford example right lots of Danish players look at an opportunity where we have a natural fan base let's agglomerate around that fan base and help them you know, follow the game in, um, in in their language with the players that they um, that they support. Um, I mean, another fun one was we've uh, in December wrapped up FIFA World Cup. Um, we did twenty one languages of of commentary throughout the um, throughout the World Cup for a for a North American broadcaster. Can you list all of those languages right now? Well, so one of them was a was a first. We don't often get new languages that we've never covered before. Um, but we covered in Wolof, which is the one of the national languages of Senegal. Um, right. Uh, so that was a that was a first for us. We often it's very rare we find a language we haven't covered before, but Wolof was um, was one, um, which was which was great. Um, so we had a, a broadcaster in Senegal who was um, providing providing local language commentary. Um, and on the final, we were doing Argentinian Spanish was one of the commentaries that we that was being produced through through Spork. And you know the 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 winning penalty kick goes in, commentator breaks down in tears on air. Um, we've got the ghost of Maradona being thanked by the commentator. It's just this incredibly yeah, yeah. passionate, you know, and true passion just coming through on air, which you never would have got if it was a. Mexican Spanish broadcast or an Ecuadorian mm. Spanish broadcast. Um, it had to be an Argentinian from Argentina in Argentina broadcasting on on his team, lifting the um, and lifting the trophy. So yeah, it's all about being authentic and aligning the voices you're using to the event uh, and and the story you're trying to tell. And and in that scenario, my understanding is that this was a, a um, an Argentinian broadcasting legend as well, somebody who was who was relatively well known. Yep. Did did you find him? Did that come through through FIFA? Did it come through the Argentinian FA? How did you pull no, that he together? T- he, he he came he came through us. Mar- Mariano's um, a good friend of of Sporks. We we work with him on a couple of couple of our major co- uh, major productions and go to him with you know when we've got a uh, a, a big event uh, that needs an Argentinian voice. He's our he's our first call. Awesome. Um, it did. It did actually make. I, I, I remember seeing that, and I remember even I got a little bit emotional watching it, given how uh, how how tearful he was, and um, the ghost of Maradona being thanked didn't go down particularly well in the UK for obvious reasons. But that's a different story. <laughs> so um, audio is. Um, you guys are based around audio, and it seems that everybody has a podcast now. Knock knock. Hello. Do, do you think that people are starting to really grasp the importance of audio as uh, as a medium when that's that's largely been very much second uh, second to images, moving images, and also um, in-person attendance? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think yes and no. I think it's it's a matter of doing it all, um, which is often hard when you're a, a cash strap sports federation. Um, but you do have to, you know, there's an expectation from fans that if you're going to broadcast an event, it has to have graphics. The graphics have to be good and accurate. It has to have commentary. That commentary has to sound good and be in time. And that uh, that content, ideally they want it free. Uh, or if you're going to make them pay for it, they want to make sure that it's even even higher and uh, more of a top-notch quality. So, I mean, I think it's really hard for, for sports federations and sports leagues to meet the demands of the consumer um, when it's always they're just wanting more and more and more and for the cost to be lower and lower and lower to the, um, mm. to the fan. You know, I was reading, a, um, I can't remember, it was one of the UK papers this morning, there's some thought piece about how media teams in the Premier League have gotten lazy with their um, transfer day announcements, where you know yeah. uh, they're only now posting a picture of the player with "Welcome to the Team" instead of a eight-minute video set to a local band from where the player grew up, which is apparently what they they used to do. But fans just expect so much nowadays. Um, and I think it's a real challenge for, for leagues to meet the demands of, of the modern fan. Um, and so we're just trying to help make that a little bit easier by being cheap, easy to use in the cloud, talking to all of their other systems, uh, you know, all of that fun stuff that you expect of a, a modern software business. Hmm. I'll, do a, I'll, I'll do a shout out to a former sports loft um... Uh, uh, class alumnus, uh, Mark uh, Mark Thompson at uh, Burnley. Burnley did an excellent uh, player signing announcement using Shrek. Burnley and, was one of the ones they mentioned. It's like that's the standard we expect of, yes, uh, of yeah, every transfer. Yes, absolutely brilliant. Um, I guess it's hard when you're Chelsea and you've got about 80 new signings coming in on deadline days. <laughs> exactly, you need to be constantly, constantly innovating on that <laughs> front. On that front. Uh, so, so, just actually, out of curiosity, have you guys ever thought of? expanding your technology and going into other uh, other avenues than audio sort of you mentioned graphics obviously that's uh, that's that's something that you guys are expanding have you thought about uh, doing other sides of production or are you focusing on on the solutions that you provide now and doubling down on those yeah so we're, we're trying to stick to our knitting and be the best tools for remote audio production um we are you know it's it's not actually that easy to produce broadcast quality synchronized you know 99.49% uptime audio in the cloud it's a really hard thing to do um and so we've got a huge focus you know our, our biggest headcount is in our engineering team of building tools that make it better more reliable redundancies integrated with broadcast workflows everything you need to produce at home commentary that sounds like the commentator is at the venue without foregoing things like producer talkback and um, other bits and pieces. Where we do, um, you know, I guess expand our scope is, is through integrations and, and partnerships. Um, you know, we work a lot with um, folks like Singular and Ligar on the, on the graphic side, um, integrating their products so that a customer can easily produce multilingual graphics as well as audio through us. Um, and then with cloud production suites like GVM, um, live you, um, you know, those sorts of production organizations who are, um, out there innovating on remote video, all of those bits and pieces. Um, and we just try to be a partner that plays nice with their systems 
uh, and integrates really tightly with any workflow that a customer might have uh, operating already. Mm. It's all about playing nice in the broadcast industry. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. There's some giants out there. So, um, in the, with that context, a couple of couple of questions to close. What 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 do you see as sort of the next phase for Spark uh, starting in 2023 and, and and going from there? Yeah, I mean the the snowball keeps rolling, right? Um, you know, I think we had and getting bigger and getting bigger. Um, you know, we've the last three years we've uh, more than doubled in size each year. Um, we'll be pushing for more of the same uh, this year. Um, you know, it becomes harder and harder to do that where, you know, your, your year one was going from X hundred thousand to Y hundred thousand. And, you know, last year was X million to X many more million. We've now got to double that again, which as the numbers get bigger, it gets harder to do. But um, I'm confident with the team we have that we'll, we'll be able to do that. Um, and then really just continue finding these opportunities to help leagues uh, grow their audiences, drive commercial outcomes, uh, and find ways to engage with their their fan bases. I think there's been a lot of uh, thought pieces out in January um, around hyper personalization, and this year being the the year of uh, you know, really tackling data around fan bases and and things like that. Um, and we really just want to be a tool that can help um, accentuate and play into those uh, focuses and priorities for for broadcasters and leagues. And how are you seeing sort of the market movement uh, and the, the potential or looming recession uh, impacting, uh, impacting that, whether from Spock's perspective, working with leagues and, and, and broadcasters or from the more um, macro fundraising market and sort of the impact on, uh, on, on startups? Yeah, I mean, we try to keep our head down and um, just keep working, um, keep delivering value and, and keep capturing it. I think that the, the the best solution for any problem in a startup is revenue. Um, revenue solves every problem, uh, and so for us, we're just going to focus on um, focus on that. Um, I think you know we're we're not expecting to revisit capital markets um, this year and try and do a fundraise. We're pretty comfortable with with the cash we have on hand and um, the customer base we have. Um, so you know we're for the most part trying to ignore it and just focus on. What are we trying to do for our customers? Let's keep doing it well, uh, and that should serve us well in the in the long run. Fantastic. Well, before we let you go, the same question that we close the podcast with every week: What was your favorite sporting moment of the week? Of the week, or of the of? Can we expand the scope so I can weave a Brentford? Yes. Into yeah, this? Okay, I know where you're going. Go for it. Yeah, you can do that. <laughs> well, I mean, I think there's just so many moments to talk about, but you know, pretty special seeing Brentford beat um, Man City. Um, mm-hmm. that's got to be a, a highlight for me you know we've we've built and established a Brentford New York City fan club um, shout out to Brentford NYC on uh, on Twitter if you want to come and watch a game with us but it's been pretty cool to see the team go from you know league two not 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 too long ago almost about to drop out of the league system completely and now we're beating one of if not the best club in the world <laughs> note note to self number two make sure to tag the Brentford guys in this uh, in this <laughs> podcast well Ben it's been fantastic to have you on the podcast again uh, to our listeners thank you for joining us uh, as ever please give us a like and a comment uh, wherever you get your podcast and uh, make sure to follow and subscribe 
go to our website, sportsloft.co, and sign up for our newsletter. And make sure to follow us on social at sportsloft.hq. Um, all that remains for me to say is a huge thank you to Ben for joining us today. Thank you so much. It's been great to have the conversation. Fantastic. Have a wonderful time, and we'll see you again soon in the Sports Loft. Goodbye. Thank you.